Welcome to the Williamstown Church of Christ podcast. This is a sermon recording from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We meet every Sunday at 10am on the corner of John Street and Douglas Parade, and we'd love to meet you. For more information, head to our website, willychurch.org.au. Enjoy and God bless you. Today's Bible reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 28. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Thank you, Charlie. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. We've been sitting down for a while, so I thought a little exercise today. You learn a lot of things... Um, when you get married, it's almost been four months now that we've been married. One of the things I've learned is uh, this idea of toner, like for the face. Has anyone heard of toner? Anyway, there's this thing called toner. And the application process is amazing. You put it on your hands and then you sort of like slap your face. So why don't we all stand up and just apply some toner to wake us up. Just, it's pretty fun. And your neck, apparently. That's good. Now we all know, you can sit down, we all know how to apply toner. <laughs> Seriously, you learn some incredible things when you get married. Now the, uh, the, the podcast is officially on iTunes, so I have to be really sensible. I have a little pause so I can cut that out of the recording. All right. So last week, last week we looked at Mark 1, 1 to 15, and we were introduced to Jesus Messiah. God and King. The good news is announced. The King is here. The kingdom is near. And now the story begins. Who is this man? What does his kingdom look like? The narrative begins at verse 16. And the first thing we get in the narrative is four fishermen. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. Now Simon is later called Peter, which is is important. So Simon Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. 
at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The first thing we get in the narrative is four fishermen. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Now, who here has been to Williamstown Coles? Surely this has got to be pretty good. Um, you know, everyone's got their hands up. Now, there is a lot to be thankful for about our local supermarket. But without a doubt, the worst part about Willie Coles is those people at the front trying to talk to you and sell you something. Am I right? Like, I mean, I used to do cold calling selling electricity, and I thought that was the most annoying thing someone could get paid to do. But really, there's cold calling, there's door knocking, there's 50 feet of half-priced chocolate bars, and then they're standing in the street with the clipboards trying to sell something at the front of Williamstown Coles. The only thing that could be more annoying than those guys with the clipboards standing there, smiling as if they want to actually talk to you, where really their eyes are just on your wallet. The only thing worse than that would be is if they actually followed you around the street. Imagine that. Like, at least I can work out how to avoid them. Some of my tricks are like, pick up my phone, something broken Italian to my nonna, just pretending. Hey! Bonjour, nonna! How are you? And, um, and then they can't talk to me. Or like, start walking there. Yeah, it's actually French, I don't know, I just... Italian's more body language in my family, so it's hard to fake a phone call. Or I start walking, I'm like, forgot my wallet, turn around, walk around the other way, go around the whole block and access calls a different way. <laughs> Imagine if those guys were walking around Douglas Parade just hunting you down, interrupting your day when you're in the middle of whatever you're doing. Imagine that. That is what Jesus is doing in the first scene of Mark since he's been announced as king. He's just going up to these fishermen who are in the middle of their day, just doing their thing, and he interrupts them and says, come, follow me. And they do it. Simon, Simon Peter, Andrew, James and John, they all stop, drop, and follow Jesus. Now... If you've been here a while, you know that I love sermon titles. So this was my early sermon title, Stop, Drop and Follow Jesus. Play on Stop, Drop and Roll. Do they still do that in, at school, Josh? If there's a fire? Yeah. It's good to hear us still learning fire safe practices. But my extended title is Follow Me. Becoming Apprentices of Jesus and His Way. Because Jesus' call here is to follow me. Jesus is calling his first disciples here. If you've got one of those Bibles with the little subtitles, it'll probably say, Jesus calls his first disciples. Now, the word disciple appears 269 times in the New Testament. Guess how many times the word Christian appears? Three. So we talk about being Christian all the time, right? Being a Christian. But the word Christian appears three times, always to refer to those who are disciples, which appears 269 times. This is what Jesus is all about, discipleship. Jesus' first act as king after announcing the kingdom is to call four ordinary fishermen to follow him and become his disciples. And he goes on in the rest of Mark and talks a lot about discipleship. 
And he continues this call into the rest of history. And he continues this call to us. That was the Great Commission, right? He said at the end of his ministry in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples all over the world. Now, a disciple is, is a student of a, of a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. So Jewish rabbis had disciples. And, and the, the rabbi was like a teacher or a master. And his disciples are students or apprentices. So we see, all of a sudden, after Mark 1, 1-15, that, that Jesus is God and King, and now we see he is also rabbi or master. And he calls apprentices to follow him. And so we're going we're gonna to stick with this language of apprentice to mean disciple, because it's probably the best word that captures what it means to be a disciple. It's someone who follows their master and follows their master's way. They actually lived with and followed and watched and learnt and listened and practiced being like their rabbi. They were apprentices of a master. And Jesus calls disciples. He calls apprentices to follow his way. If we, like these four ordinary fishermen, are called to be disciples of Jesus to be his apprentices, then we can learn a whole lot from these four verses. Five, actually, isn't it? What does it mean to follow Jesus? So what we're going to do is take these five verses and learn what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. The first thing I see here is movement. That is, apprenticeship or discipleship is active. There has to be movement to follow. The word follow here is, is both a metaphor, meaning take my life and teachings as your model, but also literal, as in walk behind me on the same way that I'm going. That's what it means to follow, surely. And if we see at the top, Jesus is walking, he's moving. And he calls these men who are doing things to follow him, to start walking. So we see from the top here that that to be a disciple of Jesus is not just to be a student and study under him. It's also to be someone who follows the way he is going, to move the way he is going. And discipleship involves movement because it is not merely a decision or a destination, but a journey. It is a life lived in the way of Jesus. If you ask me how to get to my place... Right? You're going, all right, Lockie, I want to come over. How do I get to your place? I'm going to say, go all the way down Douglas Parade, get onto Dynan Road, however you choose. You know Dynan Road. Go down Dynan Road, take that little left to get to North Melbourne at that cheap petrol station, go onto Arden Street, and then I'm going to stop there because this is on iTunes now, so <laughs> can't just publicise my address. But, you know, if you want to come over, I'll tell, tell you the rest. <laughs> but... But there's a way to get to my house, right? The point is, you can only get to my house, not if you merely know the way, but if you take the way. If you get in a car or get on your bike, or if you're super fit like Charlie Jung, get your backpack on and your runners and and jog to my place in North Melbourne. If I invite you for dinner, but you don't actually get in your car and move towards my house, what's the point? If you print out the directions even, but don't actually start moving, what's the point? 
You might have this invitation to dinner, you might have the directions printed out, but if you don't get in the car on the bike, we're not going to have dinner. The Christian life involves a glorious invitation from God to enjoy life with Him. But it's not just an invitation. He shows us and leads us on the way too. And if we don't actually walk the way, we're left with our faith being nothing more than a decision to accept an invitation and an awareness of or a knowledge of the way, but without movement along the way. I was not going to use an Adelaide Crows illustration, but I had to. If I got signed by the Adelaide Crows, I would be an Adelaide Crows player. But if that's all I wanted, just to be an Adelaide Crows player, then instead of actually training and playing, I would get signed and then I'd just eat donuts and hot chips and I'd never play a game. I'd still be an AFL player, I'd still be an Adelaide Crows player, but it would be a massive missed opportunity. I'd be totally missing the point. To be a Christian, you can have the gift of salvation and eternal life in Jesus, but if you don't actually follow Jesus as an apprentice of him, You've missed the point. If we are to follow Jesus, there must be action involved. And so the first thing I see here about what does it mean to be a disciple is that discipleship is not passive. It's a movement, a journey. The book of Hebrews calls it a race. I like to think of it as a fun run. You know, some people don't find runs fun. And, and, you know, that's a bit defeatist, I think. Running can be fun if, you know, if you train and get fit. It's a fun run that we do all together. It's a race. So often, we just want to know where to go or what to do next. We want to know the destination. But the biblical call is to walk with Jesus, to follow him. The disciples here, notice they do not know where they're going. Jesus does not give them any sense of destination. He interrupts their day and changes the trajectory of their life just by saying, follow me. This is encouraging. This is encouraging because if you're in the car on the way to my place, it doesn't matter if you're an L plater, it doesn't matter if you've been driving for 50 years, doesn't matter if you're in a BMW or a like, car from the 1980s. Not one of those cool ones, like 1980s, but one of those like old ones, 1980s. <laughs> doesn't matter if you're on a bicycle. If you're on the way to my house, we're going to eat together. You're on the way is what's important. doesn't matter necessarily where you are, but that you're coming. It doesn't matter your qualifications or experiences, but that you're moving. And this is so encouraging for us because we can be at all different points in our discipleship relationship with Jesus. Some of us have been Christian for, for 20 years. Some of us have been disciples for two minutes. But if we're moving, if we're following Jesus and there's movement and we're on the journey, then we are on his way. And we are being disciples of Jesus. The second thing... I notice in this call to follow Jesus is that following means moving behind. The disciples are called to walk behind Jesus. And this is important because Jesus is the instigator of this whole discipleship relationship. While Simon and Andrew and James and John are at their work fishing, 
Jesus is walking. He finds them. They aren't looking for him. They're looking for fish. But Jesus sees them, interrupts their fishing, and calls them to follow him. And Jesus is seeking you. God is not stationary, waiting to be found as we go on a spiritual adventure and find him on our terms. He is on the move, seeking us, interrupting our lives and inviting us to life with him. We are called to be apprentices of Jesus, the rabbi master. He is God, he is king and he is master. Now that's some serious authority. You know, last week we learned he's God and king and now we see he's master. And like I was saying last week, we don't like authority in this cultural moment. We don't like kings. We like autonomy and democracy because we want to have a say, we want to be heard. And that's fine, like that works in in our political system. But we have to learn to submit to Jesus if we are to be his disciples. He is the leader. And yet Jesus does not use his authority like any other leader, teacher or king in world history. He serves, he saves, he submits, he sacrifices. And and if we're to be apprentices of Jesus, we must learn to surrender and submit to his authority as master, to obey his teaching, follow his leading and walk his way. So as Christians, we're not wanderers, but followers. Have you ever seen this idea in travel magazines or Instagram of wanderlust? Have you ever heard of wanderlust? It means travel the world... Go wherever, feel free, do what you want. I think we bring that idea of wanderlust into our Christian lives and have like spiritual wanderlust. Thinking that we're on this religious quest, going where we want, finding peace and happiness and nice feelings wherever it feels good. If we start doing that, all of a sudden we we begin to think that, that good feelings or just some... Some, a bit of happiness or peace is the height of spiritual experience, is, is the moment we're closest to God. But following Jesus means that closeness to Jesus is about following him closely, about being right behind him, like we're tailgating Jesus. Wherever he goes, even to the place of self-denial, self-sacrifice or death on a cross, the destination will be good, I promise But the journey will be hard. The destination is is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's the fruit. But the pursuit is Jesus and his way. Even when we don't feel like it, even when we think we have a better idea, the pursuit is Jesus and his way. Has anyone um, got a gym membership? Yeah, anyone go to the gym? A few of us. What is more rewarding, I ask? Having a gym membership and going when you feel like it? Or having appointments with a personal trainer at a set time? It might, it might feel initially like go when you want is like the most chill option. But I bet you, you'll go for every day for two weeks. Then you'll start going once a week. Then once a month. Before you know it, you realise you're paying a yearly membership and you're going five times and each visit costs like $200. (laughs) If you submit to a plan with a trainer though, it might cost you more. There might be some more sacrifice and submission involved, but you will actually see the best results and get the most out of it. 
Jesus has got you. He is there every time. He will always be with you. He will always seek you, always love you, and always lead you. So submit your ways to his way. And watch how you become like Christ as you follow him. Now, submission will mean sacrifice. It might be changing jobs or moving cities or staying celibate. It often will mean having a lifestyle that is less impressive than our income peers. It often will mean giving spare, our spare time a bit more to service and a bit less to leisure. It often will mean pursuing powerlessness over power, loving people who will never love us back, serving people who will throw it in our face. It's hard. But Jesus is God and King and Master. He doesn't just announce his kingdom and then sit on a throne waiting for people to come and bow before him. Jesus announces his kingdom and then he goes out, finds and meets ordinary people, initiates the relationship. God is doing that to us today. He is actively seeking and finding you. You know, no rabbi ever did this. Rabbis would always receive applications and then just choose only the most impressive and qualified students. But because of God's great love, he sent his son to seek and save ordinary fishermen and fisherwomen like you and me and call us to be his disciples, call us to follow him, So let's follow him, Willie Church. Let's walk behind him, submit to his way, even if it's harder than anything we've ever done. Submitting to Jesus will mean sacrificing your life. And there's a big theme that we're going to track through Mark, that there's real sacrifice in submission to his way. And that's, that's the third thing. Look at verse 18. At once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20. Without delay he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. These ordinary fishermen leave what they're doing to follow Jesus. They don't say, hey Jesus, I'll finish what I'm up to and then I'm sure I'll find you around the place. You know, this, you know, the Middle East isn't that big. Let's exchange numbers and we'll catch up. I'll text you. You text me. We'll make it happen. They don't do that, you know. That's, have you ever tried to like ask someone out on a date? I've, I've heard stories of people who are married in this church. A lot of marriages started with ambiguous, you know. Hey, let's chat. Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> nah, it's tricky. They don't, they don't do that. They, they respond straight away. They, they leave what they're doing and follow him. The response requires sacrifice. You know, Jesus doesn't even ask them to leave anything. They just realise that this following Jesus thing can't be something small. This following Jesus thing is an all-of-life decision. We don't just add Jesus to the things we follow, like it's social media. You know, I'm following Selena Gomez, Justin Bieber, Christian memes, Melbourne Daily Donuts... That's the best one. And then I'm like, oh, Jesus, yeah, follow. We, it's not like that. We follow his path above all other paths. We have to unfollow Bieber and Daily Donuts and whatever else we're following. 
and follow his way above all else. He becomes our master above all other masters. This becomes our lifestyle over all other lifestyles. Following Jesus becomes your main job in life. And I tell you what, if you've been on Daily Donuts or Broadsheet or any of those things, you will know that we live in a culture spoiled for choice. We have so many options, so many distractions, so many things we could do, so many things we could pursue. But following Jesus requires disentanglement and commitment. Or to use a fishing metaphor, it means you have to leave your nets. What is your net, I wonder? Is your net the net? The internet? Yeah? Hello? Is your net the net? Tweet that, iTunes, whatever. What's encumbering you from moving? What's encumbering you from following, from him being your leader? Maybe it's stagnation. You're struggling to move. Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe it's addiction to to TV or the desire to acquire. Maybe you've got a few different GPSs, so to speak, which sort of steer your decisions and your lifestyle. Man, listening to multiple GPSs is never a good idea, I tell you what. Who's been in a car where you're like, you know what, I've got the route decided. I looked it up on Google Maps and I know which way I'm going. And then someone else in the car is like, oh, actually, I've got a better route. And then, you know, Dad reckons he's tried every single route possible. And he knows what time of day is the best route to take. And he's like, it's Thursday afternoon, this is the right way. And then your sister's on Apple Maps and auntie's still trying to use like a TomTom or a Navman. It's a disaster. It is a disaster, I tell you. You can only follow one way. You can't have two masters. You can't have two leaders. You can't have two life GPS systems. So we must follow Jesus and leave everything else behind. Hey, Zoe. (laughs) Amen. Zoe is... um, the GPS steerer in the Jung family, but Jesus above. Seriously, though, everything in our world wants to take our focus, wants us to stop and focus there, to stagnate our movement. The whole tech industry I'm reading now, all of Silicon Valley, is committed to trying to get you to stay on their apps and not move. Technology's like, main goal now is to just get you to stay focused on their thing. And whether it's technology or family or financial success or aspiration for for personal glory, whatever it is that's, that's steering your life, the call is to stop, drop and follow Jesus. We can't be led by multiple agendas or people. We must be prepared to leave everything to follow Jesus because his way is the best way. Following Jesus should take over our whole life. It should become an an all-of-life thing. You can't sort of have this Jesus life and then the rest of your life. You You can't have your Sunday life and then your not Sunday life. Your social life, your family life, your work life, eating life, drinking life, sex life, financial life, all of your life should be led by Jesus. All of your life should be shaped by apprenticeship to him. 
So the question is, can we lay down our lives to follow this God and King as our master? It will be the best thing we ever do. Finally, the second part of our reading, really quickly. I'm not going to read it out, but you might have noticed in Mark, authority has been a really big thing. Jesus is God and King, and now we see his master rabbi. Mark announced him in verse 1 as as Messiah and Son of God. John the Baptist announced his coming, his power and authority. God the Father announced him as Son at his baptism. Jesus announced the coming of the kingdom. Then Jesus demonstrated his authority by calling these fishermen to follow him, and they did. They dropped everything and followed him. And now in these eight verses... Everyone sees and everyone acknowledges his authority in teaching and in action. The people and the demons. His teaching and his healing. You see, exorcism is a spiritual healing. And we're going to get into the mighty deeds of Jesus all through Mark. Casting out demons, healing the sick. But his words and his deeds all are done with authority. He's king, he's rabbi, he's a master teacher like no other. The people notice that. And the demons flee too. They notice that he is God. So Jesus teaches powerfully and he acts mightily. He teaches with authority, so listen to his words. And he acts and heals and exercises powerfully. So do what he does and go where he goes. We see here that we see here the beginning of this powerful word and deed, teaching and acting, double whammy to Jesus' ministry. And we're about to see a whole lot more of it. And so we must know that there's this powerful word and deed, double whammy to being his apprentices. We're to be with him, to listen to his voice, to know him, to know his teaching, but also to become like him and start practicing and doing the things he did. We're going to do Sunday school in a few weeks and we're going to get into the real practicals of what this means. The framework we're going to use is is borrowed from a church in Portland. John Mark Comer, this guy we've been um, tracking with a bit, and they say the three ingredients to, to apprenticeship to Jesus is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. To be with Jesus, to abide with him, to listen to him, to follow him, to become like him. That's what it means to be an apprentice to a master, for our character to be transformed into Christ's likeness and to begin to do what he did, to see the things Jesus did, his, his mercy, his healing, his powerful deeds, the way he loved people and do what he did. And we're going to learn all of that in Sunday school, so I encourage you to, do, to sign up for that. Lunch and teaching around practices. How can we do this? How can we be apprentices of Jesus? Does anyone have their Bibles? If you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew 11. Because as great as all of this is, I I think God's saying, to some of us, this sounds exhausting. Following Jesus, being with him, being behind him, submitting and sacrificing, 
It all sounds so good. Like Janet quoted, you know, John 10. Life to the full, life in all its fulfillment is found in him. And if we follow Jesus, that is life to the full. But some of us are like, this sounds exhausting. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 is incredible. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You know, a yoke was actually a work instrument. A yoke is what, what the donkeys would, would have put on them so they would, would move forward. A yoke is actually an instrument of work, of, of movement, of action. And yet Jesus says his yoke is easy. He says you will find rest if you actually take my way upon you and, and walk the way of Jesus. Somehow it's actually going to be incredibly restful and peaceful. The message translation of this passage says, walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. And through that you will learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So, so walking with Jesus, working with Jesus, watching how he does it, does not need to be something tiresome, but actually something beautiful. Jesus carries and sustains. By his Holy Spirit, he will lead you. And also, you're not on your own. This is a group project. This following Jesus is a fun run that we do together. Jesus didn't call one person. He called a, a couple of brothers He called some brothers and then he called some brothers. And he keeps calling apprentices together. And he calls us as apprentices together. So know that that God is carrying you, that by his Holy Spirit he's sustaining you as we follow Jesus. And know that we are doing this together. So let's take up that call to submit before him, to move, for our discipleship to be active, for our discipleship to be in submission to him, following him, and to leave what's encumbering us and follow his ways. Let's stand up. Holy Spirit, would you call us now deep within our hearts, be passionate followers of you. Would you give us the strength and foresight and awareness to see what what nets we need to leave so we can follow you undividedly? Would you carry us and give us the the rest and strength so that we might be active in, in the way we walk your way? And may we know your authority and your goodness and your godness and really see that your way is the best way, that, that the life you are calling us to live with you is life to the full in all its fulfillment. We pledge to be apprentices of you together as Willie Church and follow you in everything we do. Amen.